0: This is Dana Thomas, and you're listening to The Green Dream, a podcast about how to green up your life. Climate change is bearing down on us like a mighty hurricane. And it's scary as hell, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dana Thomas, a leading voice in the sustainable fashion movement. On The Green Dream, I welcome global experts, creators, and change makers from politics, business, and the arts for dynamic conversations on how you can green up your life. The Green Dream is the podcast of hope. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency, from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and it selects stores. This episode is also sponsored by Flox, a personal style consultancy and high fashion vintage retailer where responsible fashion meets creativity, individuality, and beauty. Developing your own personal style and buying what's you is the key to sustainability. Flox presents timeless modern vintage clothes with a heavy dose of glamor. To shop and learn about available services, visit Flocks, Phlox, that's P-H-L-O-X, dot com. Or follow them on Instagram at phloxslowfashion. The red carpet is back in full. And in the last month alone, we've had the MTV Video Music Awards, the Emmys, and the Venice Film Festival, which I covered for British Vogue. For these high glam moments, some stars are choosing to wear vintage fashion, meaning clothes from another era, be it 10 years ago or 50 years ago. For the opening night premiere of director Noah Bumbach's film White Noise at Venice, the model Emma Chamberlain wore a scarlet Valentino gown from 2007, and the actress Tessa Thompson stepped out in a sculpted strapless silver satin bodice and black sequin pants by Armani Privé from 2009. Vintage dressing fits right into the green dream philosophy, keeping clothes in circulation as long as possible, giving them a second, third, fourth life, or more. The secondhand clothing market is the fastest-growing segment in the fashion business today, accounting for $130 billion a year in sales worldwide. And it is expected to be twice the size of the fast fashion market by 2030. Which brings us to my guest today, Cameron Silver, the founder and owner of Decades a top vintage couture boutique in West Hollywood, California. I think of Cameron as the king of vintage couture. Born and raised in Beverly Hills, Cameron has great flair and seems to know everyone who's anyone. We first met in 1999 when I was working on a feature for the New York Times Magazine about the swinging 60s London fashion designer, Ossie Clark. Cameron had an exhibition of Clark's work in his decades showroom. I fell so in love with one Clark outfit, a fitted tunic with slim pants in a chinoiserie print on black satin, that I bought it. I later passed the suit on to my daughter until she outgrew it. She's very tall. And then I resold it through decades. So now the 50-year-old Aussie Clark suit has yet another life. Cameron's introduction to fashion was unconventional. In the early 1990s, he was touring America singing German Cabaret. He even cut an album for Hollywood Records called Berlin to Babylon. Here's an excerpt.
1: I adore her when it's shamefully obvious, I do. Does love embarrass her or does it for her? I'm only waiting for my cue. I'm a stranger here myself. I dream of a day...
0: In his spare time on the road, Cameron hit thrift stores and charity shops looking for hip designer men's fashion. On the racks I'd see all this great women's wear and the light bulb went off he told me for my book deluxe. I was looking at vintage not as vintage but as modern clothing that happened to be 30 or 40 years old. He decided to give up on singing and as he writes in Decades a Century of Fashion his gorgeous coffee table book published in 2012 by Bloomsbury he embarked on a career as a purveyor of only the finest pre worn clothing. In 1997, he opened Decades in a 1926 Art Deco building on Melrose Avenue. I had no experience managing a business and no real education in fashion other than as a consumer, Cameron wrote in his book. But I knew I wanted to introduce a new world of customers to vintage. Before purchasing any single piece, I would always ask myself Is it modern? If you go into his store or take a look at his e tailing site, decadesinc.com, you'll see the answer is always yes. I'm thrilled to have him on the program today. But before we get to our conversation, I have some big news. The Green Dreams literary critic, Hermione Hobie, has made the shortlist for the Mark Twain American Voice in Literature Award for her most recent novel, Virtue. This is huge! The Mark Twain Prize honors an exemplary work of fiction from the previous calendar year that speaks with an American voice about American experiences. Not bad for an English gal. The winner will be named on November 4th. We're hoping it's Hermione, and we are so honored to have her on the Green Dream team. Do get her book. Now let's get to my conversation with Cameron, who spoke to us from his home in Los Angeles. Cameron Silver, welcome to the Green Dream.
1: I'm delighted to be here, and I'm drinking green juice in honor of the green dream.
0: Green juice in honor of the green dream. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) So you are the king of vintage, or as you call it, pre-loved fashion. First, let's describe or define what pre-loved is. What is pre-loved?
1: Pre-loved or vintage insinuates quality clothing from the past that was most likely worn before. So it's on its second or third or fourth mom and dad. I focus on, you know, high-end designer. I'm interested in things that represent the time and place, the zeitgeist of fashion of a certain season or year or decade. Thus the name of your store,
0: Decades. Exactly. Now, I'm here at the Venice Film Festival, and every night we have a big red carpet moment. Last night was Luca Guadagnino's movie, Bones and all with Timothy Chalamet and Chloe Sevigny and Taylor Russell. But two years ago, when I was here, Kate Blanchett was the president of the festival jury, and she wore exclusively vintage, except for one evening she wore something that was later auctioned to benefit Venice and restoring Venice. So she was shopping her closet. And then Tilda Swinton, who received the Lifetime Achievement Award, she also shopped her closet for the festival and only wore vintage, or as she put it, shopped her archive. So last night, I saw a lot of new fashion. I've seen a lot of new fashion. But when I went to Luca's dinner the other night, I wore a scarlet silk satin Prada evening coat that I bought in 1995 with a handbag from Prada that I bought, I think, in 1996. As you like to say, it's chic to repeat, right?
1: Completely, it's chic to repeat. And I think when Kate Blanchett and her stylist, Elizabeth Stewart really made a commitment to repeat things that she had worn previously or rework them, it represents how people want to dress now. Of course, we all like something new and, you know, shiny and bright. But I've always said that the fashion icons, or anybody who's ever had a retrospective at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, of which is just a handful of people, like Iris Appville, for example, Jacqueline Rib, Deriv- Nan
0: Kempner. Nan
1: Kempner. She was somebody who wore her clothes over and over again. That's style. Style isn't wearing something once and having a photo off. I'm always much more interested, especially when I help clients who are making an investment and in buying something, how this will live within the duration of their wardrobe and how they'll revisit it and make it look fresh and stylish each time.
0: I remember Nam Kempner telling me that when she was looking at a new Dior Couture jacket, And she said, but I'm going to wear it with my old jeans and I'm going to wear it with these beads that I bought in the market of Marrakesh decades ago. And then these great sandals that I've had for about 20 years. So she was always buying new and mixing with old and wearing it on Park Avenue or in their country house in the Hamptons or wherever they had their place. And that's
1: really how rich people have traditionally dressed. You know, They've always bought things as an investment to repurpose. I think that the social media generation initially thought, oh, I could only wear something once. And I'm grateful that the outfit of the day yes, or, you know, the big haul and the sort of mass consumption. I think it's wonderful that people like a Kate Lanchette or I just saw recently Armani's been using a lot of archival pieces being worn by different actresses and models just to show that these clothes have relevance beyond being a one hit wonder. That's what I find so interesting. No pop star wants to be a one-hit wonder. Why does a garment want to be a one-hit wonder? It doesn't.
0: Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. And you know, it's really lovely when I do wear something that I've had for a while and somebody says, God, that's really great. And when is that from? And I say, 1995. And they're like, well, first they go, you kept it that long? And then I say, no, I've been wearing it that long. (laughs) I wear it all the time. Some of these pieces are my most worn pieces. They become your friends.
1: Yeah, it's a testament to being a smart consumer. I think when people start wearing vintage in their day-to-day living or the demystification of wearing something used is reduced, then suddenly you're not freaked out to buy something new and make that investment and think about how you're going to be a nankepter and have it rotate. It's very liberating. I wore vintage to my prom in 1987, so I've been doing this a long time time. It's very inherent to how I dress. Wherever I go, I love to thrift. When I was last in Venice this summer, I went vintage shopping in Venice, vintage shopping in Florence. I love doing that. I discover a city by what people don't keep. I'm sure. It's almost archaeological to me. And then I like looking at new things, but that's just how I dress. I don't want to wear all brand new duds. I think it's boring and I just don't think it's style. And it
0: also doesn't have a lot of soul or story behind it. It's really great when somebody says, oh, that's a great red coat. Where did you get it? And I said, well, I was going to the Cannes Film Festival in 1995 and realized I had nothing for the red carpet except a black cocktail dress and a black long dress. And I walked into Prada and I saw this red coat and thought, boom, I've just dressed up my outfit. And I've been doing that ever since. So there's a story behind it, as opposed to saying, oh, I bought it last week at Prada and it comes and it goes. It has background. It has history.
1: This reminds me of when I first opened the store in 1997. Prior to the doors opening, I was visiting a lot of women of a certain age within their closets. And a woman named Maria, who had sold most of the contents of her condo in Century City in Southern California, she'd been widowed she slides open the mirror doors of one of her closets and pulls out a dress and said, this is a dress I met my husband in. I mean, that's what it's about. Or, you know, when you're turning over your closet, if you're one of those weird people like me, change the season and I find something I forgot about, or I put my hand in a pocket and find a theater ticket. I like that I can have wonderful memories triggered, but honestly, I'm the type of person who remembers everything where I wore it, when I wore it. So a lot of people have diaries of that. It's just in my
0: right Now, of course, wearing secondhand vintage pre-loved clothes is sustainable as well because you're keeping them in circulation, right?
1: Completely. And when I opened the store, that was really not on the radar of people. No. It was more interest in getting something one-of-a-kind or a reaction to the height of minimalism that people wanted things that were a little glitzy
0: or opulent
1: yes it's become a real nice byproduct but really a non-byproduct would be the green aspect of free loved. it's really the only right. green way to consume I and mean, we can use organic fabrics making a new garment but there's still resources being used when it's something that was made 30 40 plus years ago Or even, you know, more recent, like a neo-vintage piece that's five or ten years old, it really does not affect the planet in the same way that a new garment that's even been made in a very green way. Right,
0: because in the end, these clothes aren't going into landfill. They're going into somebody else's closet.
1: Yeah, we got to keep the clothes living. I just did an edit of My Closet, a charitable event in New York for housing work. So, like, for me, it's great because all these clothes that don't fit me anymore will have a second life. And I'll raise money for a charity. And
0: my daughter this week went to a big black tie birthday party here in Venice and wore a dress that I bought back in the 1990s. And she looked fantastic in it. And it was so different from everybody else's. It was really one of a kind, green silk, hand-painted. And I thought, you know, maybe I can't fit in this dress anymore. Maybe I have to wait 22 years for my daughter to be able to wear it. But then she did and she looks spectacular. It's a great dress.
1: Plus you get the magic of that shared memory. I love when I see someone wearing something that was mine, or like my younger friends who I'm happy to gift something to as they're kind of starting their careers. It's great to see something in my closet that doesn't necessarily work for me at this point in my life work for someone at this point in their life more effectively.
0: Now here at the Venice Film Festival, this year I haven't seen much vintage yet. I think it's because everybody's just coming out of COVID for two years and it's just so exciting to get a new dress and have some place to wear
1: it, right? I think there's such an exuberance to play dress up right now and to support the fashion industry and designers who really suffered, especially evening wear designers, since there weren't a lot of places to go when we were locked in our houses for a year.
0: You've had a lot of stylists come to you in the last 10 or 15 years to source great vintage fashion for the red carpet. What have been some of your favorites that have come out of decades and gone on the red carpet for the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes?
1: I mean, It's very eclectic. One of my favorite dresses was a Christian Lacroix dress that Elizabeth Stewart put Kate Blanchett in to a very private event for SK2 skincare in China and there weren't even amazing photos taken of it, but the dress went viral. It was a beautiful rust-colored gown with gold embroidery. I would say other favorites, it could be very random things. It's dresses worn by Chloe Sevigny at Vanity Fair party, Marissa Tomei at the SAG Awards, working with Diane Lane at the Oscars. So this was actually something where I was consulting with the House of Azaro and we brought back a dress from 40 years ago, uh, the three ring dress, that was a vintage dress that was brought back and Diane Lane wore it. And I wasn't in the audience of the Oscars but people apparently gasped because she looked so incredible. More recently in the social media doing it for the gram, it's been nice to see a lot of younger pop stars embracing vintage. I mean, half of these kids who are 18 or 19, I don't even know who they are. We just had the comedian Leslie Jones in the store yesterday. She's like, I want to wear vintage, you know, for the Emmys and things like that. So I love that it's cross-generational, that people just get that it's cool. Yeah. We did a huge poll yesterday for a producer. So it's not just the front of the camera people. It's the behind the camera people who also understand that you can be stylish and you don't have to buy something brand new. I, you know, I'm interested in mixing something new with something old. It's like, I think every time you go on a red carpet, it should be like you're getting married. So something borrowed, something blue. Exactly. Well, hopefully not borrowed from decades. You got to buy, buy it from decades, decades.
0: Borrow from Chopard.
1: Yes, exactly. Or Bulgari. They're very generous. Or Bulgari. Mm-hmm.
0: Or Cartier. Exactly. Exactly. Or if you're so in your Venice, borrow
1: from, borrow from Nardi, from Mr. Nardi. He said you popped in, Mr. Nardi, to his store. I
0: did. I did. He's I a lovely man. fell in love man. with those rings.
1: He is a lovely man.
0: And the mask rings are really good. They're really good. They're Right incredible. there on Piazza San Marco. Yeah, I a them. nice shout out to Nardi on mm-hmm. Piazza San Marco. Good stuff. Yes. And then I had lunch with somebody yeah. the next day, and she was wearing the rings. Yeah, it was good.
1: But we got to support our legacy. Yes, we have
0: to support the artisans.
1: Uh, I love that. You know, vintage also is a reminder of legacy brands, like when you're in Venice and you've got Nardi or you've got the Rubelli fabrics, like all of these great heritage brands. One of the ways we can celebrate them, obviously, is to support their new work, but also recognize the power of their historic designs and and their influence. I'm so jealous I'm not in Venice right now, but I'm hoping to go to, um, say, Venice in a month. We'll see.
0: Mm, I'll come back and see you here.
1: I'm game to save Venice. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> yes. We're game to save Venice. So you're working on another project with Marni, the Italian fashion house. Can you tell us about that?
1: So during Fashion Week in New York, I will be hosting an event featuring archival and one-of-a-kind pieces by Marnie in advance of the show they're doing in New York City. And I love that we have this opportunity to upcycle Marni pieces and revisit pieces, as well as celebrate more artisanal things. The one thing I have found is that people of discriminating wealth do not necessarily want something everyone has. They're not influenced by influencers. So I think more and more brands have to create these capsule, one-of-a-kind or strictly limited collections. And that's what we'll be celebrating with Marnie. And the clothes are edgy, they're not conventional or commercial. They're very editorial. And I'm happy to be able to, you know, hang out in New York and make my friends look like rock stars.
0: And the idea is that everybody in the audience is wearing Marnie while watching the Marnie show,
1: right? That's always the dream of every brand, especially for your clients to wear the clothes. I know what I'm wearing to the show. It's good. It's really, really good. It weighs about 35 pounds. so so. I'll have a hernia (laughs) after wearing it. Right.
0: This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency, from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. This episode is also sponsored by Flox, a personal style consultancy and high fashion vintage retailer where responsible fashion meets creativity, individuality and beauty. Developing your own personal style and buying what's you is the key to sustainability. FLOX presents timeless modern vintage clothes with a heavy dose of glamour. To shop and learn about available services, visit FLOX. That's P H L O X.com or follow them on Instagram at floxslowfashion. My guest today is Cameron Silver, the king of vintage couture and the owner of the secondhand couture boutique Decades in West Hollywood. Cameron's book Decades, A Century of Fashion is published by Bloomsbury. You also support this idea of wearing secondhand clothes or vintage or pre-loved clothes by doing trunk shows, the old school Bill Blass style trunk shows where you travel around the country with a trunk full of clothes and you have events at people's homes or in department stores or in boutiques. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about those, where you go, who comes, their reactions, what they buy.
1: Well, I am an old school retailer. Decades was born by thank you notes, which we don't do anymore because they're not green. So we we don't send thank you notes. But I believe in going to your client and reaching them where they are. So I spent a summer in Sag Harbor doing a pop-up. That will expand next summer to the entire summer. Coming up, I'll be in Memphis and actually Germantown a little bit out of Memphis. And then I'll be in Nashville, Tennessee at someone's home. And again, these are men and women who love clothes but need someone who's a curator to help bring them the best of the best. So you meet your clients where they are. Make it easy for them. Treat everybody no matter where they live. There are fashionable people. And I think luxury brands tend to focus too much on the coasts. But there's a nice country in between Los Angeles and New York with very enthusiastic and grateful customers. And let me tell you, when I do a trunk show in the South and someone's spending money with me, she's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because that client is so happy to have access in person, not just, you know, virtually shopping online, to things that are special and unique. And they have social lives. They're very social. They're totally social. They're social and they're philanthropic and they're traveling, but people want to shop local. They want to embrace, they want to support local merchants. So I'll often guest at a boutique and I'm like an upseller. So I'm maybe doing a pop-up at someone's store, but we're selling their proprietary inventory. I tend to focus on female-owned businesses and I will also bring guest designers who are very limited, who are modern designers, but maybe they're sustainable in their production or they're upcycling. So it's really nice that I could bring a mix of vintage, pre-loved, as well as emerging independent brands. And now I'm working more and more with major luxury brands who will send me capsule collections because they want to get in front of people. And maybe you don't have a boutique in Nashville. I have the ladies. So I can get your clothes in front of the right people.
0: Now, you got into this in a really curious way. You used to sing cabaret.
1: I used to recycle old songs. I specialized in German cabaret, the songs of Kurt Weill and Friedrich Hollander. And I would thrift when I was doing gigs. And you
0: traveled all around the country
1: doing this, right? All around. And, you know, I would be doing sometimes a two-week theater concert gig. And I would thrift in the daytime looking for men's clothing. I found women's clothing. This was the mid-'90s. And I had fortuitous timing. Consequently, my parents' living room was suddenly filled with clothes. I say a store was born rather than a star because I did not become a famous performer, but I became a successful retailer.
0: And you called it decades because you carry things from every decade, pretty much, right? From about 1920 onward?
1: Yeah, I mean, occasionally we'll have an Edwardian piece or a more historic I personally love a lot of vintage textiles. I'm looking for myself for some things that are used back like Genghis Khan type of cross-stitch coat. So I like anything that's unique or one of a kind, but truly the focus is more 20th century. And then of course we have a huge business and more modern designer consignment, but it's all about being curated. It's all about customer service, high touch point retail. You know, there was a woman who came into the store two days ago and needed something to wear to a fancy wedding in Sag Harbor next weekend. And I was like, I got you. I just spent a month in Sag Harbor. We're going to find you the perfect dress for this like super fancy wedding. And you know something? Unlike the two or three women who bought a Zimmerman dress this season, you're not going to be in the same dress. That's one of exactly. the liberating things about shopping vintage and pre-love.
0: What did you find for her?
1: We found her a preen dress that was probably like five or six years old that had no hanger appeal. And on the body, the way it was constructed, and it was printed sequins, and it just sort of gathered at the hip. And I'm pretty good at clocking someone. I always say like I've seen all of Hollywood naked, so it's pretty easy for me to help someone figure out what's going to work. and. You know, she was broad-shouldered and narrowed hip, so it's like something bias-cutter that gathers at the hip, and she could do something that gathered at the hip because she was already narrowed hip. It looked so good on her. It was not what she was thinking she would want, but she bought it. And she had ordered dresses from Moda Operandi. You know, she'd ordered all of these new things, and nothing had satisfied her. So, you know, every time I find the right dress or suit or whatever it is for the client, it's a win. It's a win.
0: Now, what do you think we'll see on the right carpet for the Emmys? In terms of, do you think we'll see a lot of vintage? I think we
1: can. It's very complicated because, you know, a lot of these brands have deals with the talent and with the stylist and with the publicist.
0: Red carpet revenue. So there's
1: a lot of things going on there. I have more and more brands buying archival pieces of their own. I mean, I just had a legendary American brand buy a rest of theirs, it was probably 30 years old for their archive with the intention of putting it on somebody for a party, for an actress.
0: Tom Ford apparently buys anything from the Gucci era that comes in from you all oh, because he doesn't have any archives. Yeah, I mean, I think,
1: yeah, people are constantly building their archives. But for a lot of historic brands, sometimes one of the ways to revitalize a historic brand is by placing vintage on people of note makes people wax nostalgic and then it helps sort of like jumpstart a revival of a brand. So I'm sure we'll see some vintage, but again, we are kind of coming out of this epic long pandemic. I know that a lot of these brands want to see their recent red carpet gowns on the red carpet. So, you know, I can't compete with an LVMH owned brand that's paying somebody a lot of money to wear their clothes. But I'm glad that I have a, there are enough people I work with who want a little vintage in their life. And, you know, sometimes you want to own your clothes. I always say I deal with the owners and not the loners. It's always wonderful to dress a celebrity who recognizes like, oh, maybe I'll wear this dress to my agent's son's bar mitzvah someday after wearing it to the Emmys. There is a life outside of public dressing.
0: Now, I remember one time you came back, you'd been shopping in the closet of Catherine Deneuve. Yes. I found that so
1: chic. There were some good times. I had the code to her apartment and we would just edit the closet and smoke those little skinny cigarettes. skinny
0: cigarettes. All that style
1: I mean, there was a lot of it. I mean, she had a lot of amazing clothes, like fabulous, fabulous clothes. It was a privilege. And she also shopped vintage. I knew her because she would come to the store and shop. So, I mean, here, like one of the great icons and beauties of cinema history, would buy vintage clothing. And fashion.
0: You know, she was one of the muses of Saint of course,
1: Laurent. Of course, of Forever. course. Forever. And continues to be a muse and of the Goutier. house. And Yes. I would love that she would shop my store, and then I would shop her closet. You know, I've worked with a lot of celebrity collections. I mean, we've worked with Angelica Houston, like another great icon, doing her edit in her closet. It's I fantastic. imagine so. Love a good icon. <laughs>
0: you'll have to come do my closet next.
1: I know you well, always tell little, me, just
0: keep it, keep it.
1: We've done some good work with you. You know what dress we just got yesterday? Well, when I was in the Hamptons, a friend of mine said, you know, I've got that white Tom Ford dress with the cutout. <gasps> and it's somebody kind of well known, like important pop culture figure. So she'd had a lot of fun in that dress. So we've had a restoration of the thong portion of the dress and it looks incredible. I don't know if it's going to go to a museum or a Kardashian, but someone is going to be really happy to get that dress. Somebody's going
0: to be really happy to get that dress. Amazing. Now, I've been reading lately and people have been talking lately about how the vintage market's changing a lot with the flood of all the overproduction of fashion from the last 10 years. Basically, what I wrote about in Fashionopolis, that everything's just amped up to a level that, you know, with 32 collections a year, trying to, you know, luxury fashion, trying to keep up with the fast fashion pace and just the tsunami of clothes that we've had on the markets and people being encouraged to buy and replace and buy and replace and buy and replace and throw away and or sell or give to secondhand charity shops or to consignment. And that this flood of clothes is really diluting the vintage market. Do you find that at all happening at decades? Do you see that there's been like a deluge of secondhand, especially in the merry Condo era where everyone's been told to clean out their closets? Are you getting too many clothes?
1: I think brands have way too many drops. I mean, some of the brands I consult with, I must get every week, oh, we have a new sailor drop or this print drop. I do think that production got very curtailed as a result of the pandemic. So a lot of these brands don't produce as much. For example, there are a pair of Marnie pants that I am wearing next week in New York. The waist I need, there was one pair available. So the production is a little bit smaller I will be jimmy rigging these pants with safety pins to wear because the waist is too small. And I don't care how much green juice I have in the next 96 hours. They're not going to fit. So I do think that in the high-end world, they've recognized that less is more. It also is teaches the customer that if you really want to buy something, you have to buy it in season, not in sale. I think that more brands not having in-season sale, it's going to change the way we consume. But I do agree that there are way too many collections. I think it's all about, you know, it's quality, not quantity. I was just doing some personal shopping for two different clients yesterday, and nobody wanted anything basic. It had to be really special, exceptional, unusual. Prints had to be cool. And these are not people who will wear something once. I showed how you could buy this jacket and work with this dress and this skirt and these pants and how it will rotate not only in the season, but in future seasons.
0: Do you have any tips for listeners on how to find good vintage or what to look for when looking at a vintage piece to make sure that they're getting good quality or it's in good shape, what to check out? How would you sort of counsel them to become better pre-loved consumers and shoppers?
1: I'd say first and foremost, know your fashion history. So know what's good. Learn the names of brands so that you can clock something and see a label. And, oh, Jacques Heim. I know who Jacques Heim is. You know, maybe somebody who's not as famous. Quality is everything. You know, there are some garments that you just can't give enough plastic surgery to to survive. I mean, if something is really damaged, and you want to turn it into a wearable garment, it's difficult. So really think about condition have a really good tailor
0: have really good tailors
1: just as important as your therapist yeah because a tailor can help the duration of a garment live in your closet i always say to women shop more like a man because men are very meticulous about tailoring i mean a man doesn't buy a suit and roll up a jacket sleeve a woman will do that and for men i've encouraged men to shop more like women buy something that's colorful or print or outside your box And I think more and more men are doing that. And then, of course, we have fluidity. So anybody can wear anything. That's it. So at the end of the day, don't follow anything I said. Wear what makes you happy and who gives a shit what anybody says. Exactly.
0: And, you know, I think also trends don't matter anymore, right?
1: No, no, no. We are completely liberated from trends now.
0: And you know why?
1: It's all because of you. No,
0: it's not because of me. I was at the American Library one Sunday working on Fashionopolis. Actually, it was a few Sundays in a row. And every Sunday afternoon, this young fashion assistant from one of the major houses came in and she took all the Vogue magazines from the 1980s and then all the Vogue magazines from the 1990s and then all the Harper's Bazaar magazines from the 1980s and all the Harper's Bazaar from the 1990s. And she kept paging through. And when she saw something that was cool and great, she took a picture of it. And then she was taking it into the office on Monday to say, mm-hmm. okay, here's some different references of things we can do. That basically everything that of new house is making, it's very rare to find somebody who's just sitting at their desk and going, hmm, I need a new idea. Instead, they're referencing everything that's already been done and hodgepodging it together. So now you can wear anything, even colors, because everybody's referencing every era, every decade, like your shop, all in one collection. And it's just yes. become this stew of fashion.
1: I see how designers will shop a decade. It's like they're shopping every decade within the store and they build looks. I mean, yesterday I, on a consulting gig, I was putting some looks together and I'm mixing like an archival Rochard piece with a pair of Cavalli jeans and just putting these distinctive looks together as inspiration references. And there are certain things that never go out of style when it comes to fashions. Like animal prints never go out of style, stripes never got a style, Poochie Prints never got a style. There's always a cowboy reference. Poochie
0: print never goes out
1: of style. Yeah. I mean, it's so just shop smart. Buy the classics, but then buy some twisted pieces and you know have fun. It's not brain surgery.
0: And when you talked about quality, would you say one of the great ways to tell about quality is simply just touching it and feeling it?
1: Oh yeah, I am shocked by how so many brands are using mediocre fabric right now. And these are like expensive brands. I know. Where you're touching something that feels horrible and you're charging three or $4,000 for a jacket. I think it's a real frustrating thing. And I know like you do a cheaper fabric, so you have a higher margin because you can still charge the more expensive price and you're making it offshore. It's not made in Italy or, you know, you're doing a, a second or third market production. But yeah, I mean, the vintage pieces tend to have way better fabrics. That's why they survive. That's why they survive. That's why the moths like them. If the moths like the fabric, that means bits. bits That's
0: why the moths like them.
1: Yes, it's so true. It's so true.
0: Are there any brands that are bankable, in your opinion? I know Hermes for leather handbags and leather goods is always bankable. But are there any others? I mean,
1: it's it's Hermes, it's Chanel, Yves Saint Laurent, Dior, Alaya. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are brands that always have a strong resale value that people will always want.
0: And we can resell too. I've done that with you where I bought something from you and then I brought it back 20 years later and I made a profit.
1: Exactly. Tom (laughs) Ford era Gucci, but now people want the Frida era Gucci. Like the cool kids are into the Frida Gucci because it's the antithesis of the Alessandro Gucci. So I think, you know, sometimes things are reactions, you know, things are reactions to what's, popular and this is a very much demographic wise, perhaps like a Michael Kors collection dress at decades may have a negligible resale value at the store in LA, but I take it somewhere else in the country and that dress is more desirable. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a good garment. Certain names might create a more visceral experience or reaction rather, but I always say, you know, if it makes someone's boobs and booty look good, the label becomes less important.
0: Are there any brands that aren't the usual suspects that you're seeing? Like, are we seeing a return of LaCroix 1980s and Poofs?
1: I mean, La Croix is very popular right now, especially like La Croix so jackets are really good.
0: Because they're yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, like a strong
1: statement jacket. Because Yes, and they're really detailed. And to create those jackets today would be prohibitive. I just sent to a bride-to-be for her after-wedding look a petu by Lacroix Pouf dress.
0: Wow. Now, hopefully it
1: works for her. I mean, it's a one-of-a-kind dress. She'd been looking yeah. she sent me pictures of all of these dresses she'd been looking at, and we found this one. I think there are certain brands that have negligible resale value at a store like Decades. It just doesn't happen. But sometimes those are the brands that I have a soft spot for. Like the kids like St. John right now. You put Saint John, How like Saint John kind of gromedy-looking, glitzy sweater on a seventeen-year-old. It looks great. A looks great.
0: Nancy Reagan
1: sweater. Yeah, you put it on someone young. It looks cool because wow. it looks like what Balmain is doing today. So you know, you kind of go to the source. Well,
0: Timothy Chalamet the other day was wearing a Celine jacket by Eddie that totally could have been a Saint John of from course. the eighties.
1: When I go into the I Webster, mean, which is one of my favorite multi-brand retailers, I'm like, oh my God, half the brands look like they're doing 80s St. John. 80s St. John. You know, John. or 80s Sonia Rykiel. 80s Sonia Rykiel. It was really good. It was really good. Yes. I'm always curious what my friends' kids want to wear. Let the 16 and 17-year-olds sort of dictate where we're going because they know. They so And they're know. excited about things. You know, I mean, all the young people are interested in like this sort of early 2000s and 2010s of of fashion. So, you know, things that are like five or six years old for a 15 year old seems really vintage. (laughs) So it's all changing. We'll have the best time in Venice.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for talking to me today. We're going to look for this cool vintage coming up on the red carpets. It's going to be great. And we'll know now what to look for when we go shopping.
1: I hope so. Have a great afternoon. Take care. New episodes of the green dream
0: come out the first and third Tuesday of the month. So we'll be back in two weeks with Lily Cole, the British model and environmentalist, to discuss her book, Who Cares Wins? How to Protect the Planet You Love, published by Penguin. She'll explain how she merged her fashion career with eco-activism. I hope you'll join us. Here's a preview.
1: All of our issues are intertwined. I think that one of the many problems we face is the siloing of problems, you know, where we think about environmentalism as something separate to animal welfare or poverty or human issues. And actually, I would say that there are systemic drivers to all of these issues that intersect. It's all a, a consequence of the systems we have, and the, and the systems we have are interconnected and have multifaceted effects.
0: This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency. From Farm to Fabric to Atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and its select stores. This episode is also sponsored by Flox, a personal style consultancy and high fashion vintage retailer where responsible fashion meets creativity, individuality, and beauty. Developing your own personal style and buying what's you is the key to sustainability. Flox presents timeless modern vintage clothes with a heavy dose of glamour. To shop and learn about available services, visit FLOX. that's P-H-L-O-X dot com, or follow them on Instagram at Fashion. The Green Dream was written by Dana Thomas from TalkBox Productions with executive producer Tavia Gilbert, with Mix and Master by Kayla Elrod. Music performed by Eric Brace of Red Beat Records in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Dana Thomas, the European Sustainability Editor for British Vogue. You can read my monthly column, also called The Green Dream, in the magazine or online at vogue.co.uk. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, where my handle for both is Dana Thomas Paris. Thank you for listening.